All right. Candy Corner Carnival. Hope you're excited. I am. You can wear your clown suit. I know lots of you got them. Just pull out that Seahawks jersey and bring it on over. You'll fit right in. Uh, that's all I got since my team can't beat yours. So uh, you've got that on me. I've got the, that on you, and that's all we've got, right? Um, so it was good to see the Seahawks beat a middle school team the other day. I've, I've downgraded my team to a middle school team because when you can't line up on the line of scrimmage without two or three penalties in a game and you don't have a quarterback who can play, you're now demoted to a middle school football team. So they've been demoted. We'll see what happens today. Maybe they can rise to the occasion and act like professionals. <laughs> Grab your Bible, open it to Psalm 112. Uh, I have a fresh word for today that I hope um, will just give you something to think about this week and also something to contemplate about your life in Christ. And I'm excited about this word. It's something that I feel like, um, you know, the Lord just put in my heart a couple weeks ago, and I want to share it with you. Uh, you probably noticed about a month and a half ago, several, several Sundays ago, Kate and I had a Sunday off. And so we decided to visit an alternate house of worship on that day. We, we often do that just to try to get a different flavor and um, just see what other people are doing. And so that was great. And so I, I got to tell you about this experience at Kate and I. We showed up and the excitement in the room was palpable. I mean, the atmosphere was amazing. People were milling around and talking to one another in their commons area. You could see that they really enjoyed having something together in common. There was laughter in the room. People were excited for the worship to get started. It was very apparent that everyone in the room was waiting all week for this moment of worship. There was lots of diversity in the room. Not everyone looked the same. Not everyone dressed the same. But it was obvious that they were happy to be together worshiping. It was obvious that people were committed to worshiping in their life, their conversations. Uh, I heard lots of people talking uh, about where they had been that week and the worship that they were doing during the week as well. And now they were just glad to be together to worship. They were talking joyfully about the one that they were going to worship. And so here we were in this moment, uh, committed, excited, ready to worship. And they started right on time. There was this explosion of joy. Within seconds, everybody was worshiping together in a loud voice. When the Cleveland Browns kicked the ball to the Texans, Houston Texans, there was this explosion of joy. Sadly, I got to see how Americans worship on Sunday morning now. I was in a sports bar in Cleveland, Ohio. On Sunday morning, we had had Kate's grandma's memorial the day before, and we decided let's do something we never do on Sunday morning. So we went to a sports bar. Here's what I learned about worship on that morning. We worship what we're excited about. That's my fresh word for you this morning. We worship what we're excited about. And I have a question for you. Are you excited about Jesus? Because the psalmists are. Here's what's interesting about the psalms. The psalmists are excited about Jesus. And here's what you discover. 
They're even excited about Jesus on their worst days because some of the psalmists are not so happy all the time. Have you noticed that when you read through the psalms? You're like, dude, this guy's depressing. But at the end, he gets to what? But my hope is in God. All of my life I give to God. Everything is his. And so good or bad, challenging or difficult, the psalmists help us understand something. And that is that we worship what we're excited about. I want to ask you some questions as we go along this morning. Here's one to begin with. What makes you light up on the inside and the outside? What just lights you up? Is it Jesus? Is it your sports team? Your hobby? Your work? Your kids? Your next vacation? Politics? Social media posts? What is it that just lights you up? Because here's what's true. God created every single one of us to worship. We will worship. There's no doubt about it. In fact, everywhere you go on this planet, you will see people worshiping all kinds of things because you just are worshiping what you're excited about. And I want to encourage us, and the psalmist this morning in Psalm 112 is going to encourage us to worship. Here's what we notice about worship. We spend money on what we worship. We go out of our way to include on a daily and weekly schedule what we worship. We dress up to show the one that we worship that we enjoy worshiping. Here's what I noticed that was a little bit different about the church and this sports bar. The people in the sports bar worshiped their God for three hours. And they were so excited to do it. I mean, they were thrilled every second of every moment. Maybe we just need to serve hamburgers at halftime. I, I don't know. But is anybody, would anybody think that I couldn't talk for two hours? Is there anyone in the room that thinks I couldn't talk for two hours about Jesus? You bet I could. That'd be the joy of my life. But here's what I found that was interesting. Because um, my father-in-law is a Cleveland fan, I know this. No matter what happens in your week, good or bad, you're still going to worship that team, right? And even if your God fails you miserably, you're going to worship the next day, the next week, and all of your life. Just ask the Jets fans. <laughs> They're still worshiping. Every week, every year, every day of their life. But here's the point. Because I know, I don't want you to think that what you hear from this message today is that Pastor Mark is saying the only thing we can be excited about is Jesus and nothing else. That's not true. But here's what I want us to catch this morning. If the 49ers are here and Jesus is here, then my priorities are out of whack, aren't they? Somewhere, I, I'm missing that the one who saved me for all of eternity should be higher than my arm can reach here. And the 49ers should be in the trash can where they always are. <laughs> right? Honestly. Really? Honestly. They should be. See, when I read the Psalms, I catch this excitement about God, 
even in the hardest times, even when the psalmist is frustrated. He always ends with this, but I'm still kind of hoping in God and excited about God. Now, a couple weeks ago, um, I shared this psalm with our staff because I wanted this psalm to be a prayer from us for you. That every single one of you would experience in your life what the psalmist in Psalm 112 is talking about. And so we're praying this. We're understanding this as a fresh word for us as a staff, but I hope it will be for you this morning, a fresh word that can bring you hope, get you excited about worshiping the Almighty God, your risen Savior, and the one who desires to bring all good things into your life. This psalmist knows that when we worship the living God, we also get excited about godly living. We get excited about choices we make every day, which sometimes seems like, how am I going to get excited about what choice I make? Well, the psalmist is. He's excited about that. He's excited about lasting results and bringing stability to the next generation because worshiping the Lord our God becomes the foundation of our lives in good times and bad. So look at this psalm with me. I'm going to read it out loud. It's Psalm 112. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation today. You can watch on the screen or you can follow along in your Bible. He starts off with this. And there's an exclamation point, so just hear me quickly as I start the psalm. Ready? This is how the psalm starts. Praise the Lord! How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. The psalmist says right here, we worship what we're excited about. Now, in particular, the psalmist begins with three things that he's really excited about. And it's almost kind of like this psalm almost kind of like reads like an if-then statement. Verse 1 is the if. And the rest of the psalm, the rest of the nine verses is, is the then statement. That if you, if you figure out verse one, all of the rest will kind of make sense to you. That's what the psalmist is saying. And so the psalmist begins with three things that he's really excited about. And his declaration is that when these three things are the foundation of your life, it'll affect everything in your life. And the possibilities for godly influence true change in others, 
and godly legacy in your life increases greatly. Now, it's not a guarantee that these things will happen, but the odds are much greater if you do it God's way than your own way. Now, let me just say something as a general presupposition for the Psalms just for a moment. There's a general presupposition that we have to understand when we are reading one of the Psalms. And here's the presupposition. The presupposition that the writers of the Psalms are are thinking and that their understanding about the readers is that they are living in a nation that has its foundation rooted in God's word. They're obeying God's commands. They're confronting evil and not letting it continue. And it's a society that prefers the wisdom of God to rule their lives rather than the pleasure of the moment creating how society functions. This is the presupposition of a psalm. Is that true for us today? No, (laughs) it's not. So we have to look at this a little bit and understand that when you take it out of that context, that we have to make it apply to us personally instead of apply to us corporately. And it's not a guarantee that everything will happen in in this format because we're not sending our kids out into a culture that prefers the wisdom of God over the pleasure of the moment. So we can't guarantee everything. But here's the three things that the psalmist is really excited about in verse one. He's really excited about praising the Lord, about having a healthy fear of the Lord, and delighting in obeying God's commands. Now, the psalmist declares that when these three things are the foundation of your life, the outcome of your life is very different. So let's look at these three things right off the bat. The first one, praising the Lord. What the psalmist is saying and declaring is, I'm going to use my words and my mouth to declare the appreciation that I have for God. That's what you will hear come out of my mouth on a regular basis. I will sing to God because my heart is happy to do so. I will acknowledge God as the source and sustainer of my life, and I will say that is God. God's done that, and that's my praise to him. My heart, my actions, my words are all about praising the Lord. When people see me, I want them to see someone that loves Jesus, that's filled with the Holy Spirit, and that praises the Lord with my life. And I'm going to live courageously, and I'm going to tell people what God has done for me. That's what it means to praise the Lord. A second, he says, I'm going to fear the Lord. I live with this healthy fear of the Lord. Now, the interesting concept that the psalmist communicates is that fearing the Lord brings him joy. Did you notice that? Anybody else ever have something you're really afraid of bring you joy? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> That's like not, right? So what in the world is he talking about? How can you fear something and have it bring you joy at the same time? He must be talking about fear in a totally different understanding of the word and a totally different concept than we understand it as Americans and how we apportion or apply that word to our life because I don't get it if that's what it means. Well, that's not what it means in the Bible. 
We have to figure out what the word fear means in the Bible to understand what it means for us today. So let me help us out. There's a whole bunch of things mixed together to understand the fear of the Lord. This word the, or understanding that you fear the Lord, it'd be like a hodgepodge of a whole bunch of things. Anybody like gumbo? My best friend's dad was from Louisiana. He used to make gumbo. You know what you, you, know what you put in gumbo? Whatever you want. You just put whatever you want in gumbo. You put some shrimp and some sausage and some spices and leftover steak from last night and some corn and you just throw it all in there and every time it's different and every time it's what? It's good. That's gumbo. That's the fear of the Lord. See, there's a whole bunch of things mixed together to understand the fear of the Lord. A part of you is terrified. Because you understand the awesome power of the God that you serve. So part of you, yes, is terrified of the creator of the universe and the creator of our planet and the creator of your life. Part of that is the fear of the Lord. But part of it is joy because you know him intimately. And you know how he feels about you. And you know that he loves you beyond measure. And you know that his amazing grace is a part of your life every single day. And so you know that about God. And so you also, a part of you is joy. A part of you is awe, just utter awe in how great God is. That God is good. How often? And all the time? That's right. This is the fear of the Lord. You're in awe of him because he is so great. Part of it is an overwhelming just appreciation of what you see him do on a regular daily basis for you all the time. And part of it is your choice. Part of it is just simply your choice to say, you know what? God rocks. God's cool. Jesus is awesome, and I just choose to worship him. That's all a part of fearing the Lord. See, when the psalmist talks about fear, they're all talking, because you see this in almost a lot of the psalms, a lot of the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all over the place in the Old Testament. They talk about the fear of the Lord, but they're not entirely talking about being afraid. They're partly talking about that. Because we should somewhat be terrified of God and his awesome power. But they're not talking about a scared fear all the time. It's this mentality of honor and reverence and awe at the one who created our planet and keeps it functioning. Let me give you another example of this. Have you ever turned on the TV and as soon as you turned on the TV, you just found yourself screaming in terror? Ah! No? Okay, just checking. Have you ever plugged in your cell phone and screamed in utter terror? Anybody? Okay, no? All right, let's try another one. Ever went to the fridge and opened the door, and when the fridge light came on, you were filled in such Friday the 13th horror and terror, you fell on the kitchen floor, and you couldn't even scream this time because you were so afraid. Yes. Nobody? Oh, Yeah. Well, yeah, well, of course, yes, but you haven't even gotten to that yet. You've only seen the light, that's it. Not, you haven't even smelled that rotten orange that's been there for three years. Come on, people, clean out your fruit drawer. 
No, no, nobody does that. But if the power company distributed the raw power straight from the hydraulic dam to your house, it would blow your house off the planet. Is the raw power awesome and great and something to be in awe of? Yes, but that's not what we have. What do we have? We have a substation in between the hydraulic dam in your house. And we have a transformer on the pole in between the substation in your house. So what you have in your house, listen to me, is controlled power. Hear me. What you and I have in our lives today with Jesus Christ is not raw power. Because if he wanted, he would destroy this entire planet in the blink of an eye. What you and I have with Jesus is controlled power. Power and wisdom and grace and love and mercy and forgiveness all working together. And we call that the fear of the Lord. And the psalmist says, man, I'm excited about that. I am so excited that I serve a God that has that much power and loves me that much that he would keep himself on a cross for me. That's the fear of the Lord. Then lastly, he says, I delight in obeying his commands. Now, let me um, point out something that should be pointed out as we talk about this third thing. And that is, did you notice that the praise for the Lord, this deep love and praise for the Lord, and the awe of the Lord and his awesomeness come before obeying his commands? See, if you're just going to be a rule follower, then you can put the rules before God, but you won't have a loving, honest relationship with him, and so you'll probably end up judgmental and hateful and angry as you read this word, study this word, and then try to apply it to everybody else's life but your own. We call that a Pharisee. But that's what happens when you put obeying God's commands before just loving him and having a fear of him because he just loves you. It's in that stance, it's in that place where my heart is right with God, where my mouth is right with God, where my love is right with God, that I open his word and I recognize, man, this is a good book. And I just, I just love my God. And I want to see what he has to say for me today. In that place, the psalmist says, I delight in obeying his commands. It makes me happy to obey the Lord. I love God's word, and I love living in the commands of the Lord. I see the way the world lives, obeying their own appetite, and I choose to live a different way. In God's word, I choose to honor my Savior and say, he's smarter than me, and I'll obey his commands. I'm not frustrated to obey the Lord, the psalmist would say. I'm not dejected because I don't get to do what the world is doing. I love the Lord, 
And I delight in his word. So this is a joy to me, not a frustration to me. It's a delight. I recognize that I get the opportunity to live in the wisdom of God all the days of my life, and I cannot imagine a better way to live. This is unbelievable that I get to live this way. This is what the psalmist is saying. Now, these are the three things that the psalmist says. And he's, he's proposing that when these three things are the foundation of your life, your life has the potential to thrive in every godly area. It has the potential to thrive and, and every single part of your life will find a different conclusion and a, a different purpose when you praise the Lord, when you have a healthy fear of him, and when you honor the Lord's word. When those three things are a part of your life, then, then the psalmist says, there's a whole bunch of other things that are just going to kind of like be a part of your life. There's going to be all kinds of things that will be a part of your life. You, your children will be successful. You'll, your good deeds will last forever. You'll be a generous, compassionate, and righteous person. You'll conduct business fairly. You'll be long remembered. You won't be fearful of bad news all the time. You'll share generously. And the people that are evil around you in your life are just going to be frustrated because the Lord's on your side all the time. Now, let me just point out three things really quick that, that I found in this psalm that I feel like are a fresh word for us today, that the psalmist says, if you let these three things be the foundation of your life, here's three things that will be a part of your life as well. They're not guarantees, but let's just look at them. Verse two, their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Is there anyone in the room that doesn't want the best for their children? Don't raise your hand if that's true, but just, I mean, right? Because somebody's not going to like you as you leave the room. If you like, yeah, that's me. I don't care about kids. <laughs> like, none of us think that. We want our kids to be successful. We want them to be blessed. But did you notice what the psalmist said? The psalmist says something very important. He attributes success and blessing to being godly. That that's what true success is. True success is not a ton of money, although you might get some, he says in the next verse, three, right? Because you do your finances God's way, not the world's way, right? That might happen. Might not, but it might if you do it God's way, right? So here's what's interesting. He says there's something really important, and that is that true success is living with God. True blessing is living in relationship with him. And the psalmist says that that is part of the life of a parent. That's our job as a parent, is to help train and model to our children to praise the Lord, to fear the Lord, to delight in his word. And that when that is part of your home, and that's the training in your home, that your kids have a great opportunity to grow up to be godly people that learn how to thrive in their life. 
And as you're teaching them God's word and as you're praising the Lord with your life and as you're, you have this healthy fear of the Lord and that's the atmosphere that's created in your home as you're open and honest and authentic with your kids about the life we live and the world that we live in and everything and God's word all mixed in there, it will help them with relationships and finances and studying in school and sexual matters and honoring friends and parents and helping them make everyday decisions and finding great purpose and spiritual insight and direction about priorities in their life and discovering right from wrong and responding to an enemy and how to be kind to everyone and what to pray about in tough times. And we could go on and on for two hours or three or four weeks about what God's word does. Amen? That's why, by the way, we've, we've switched things in faith kids to involve family. Why? This is why. Because the psalmist says, when as a family you do this together, you model what it's like to praise the Lord, to have a healthy fear of him and how to delight in his word. And we desire that kind of discipleship and education for our kids so they will become godly people. Now, it's not a guarantee in our day, as we mentioned before, because they can choose to walk outside our home and find a world that's not following God at all. But I can 100% guarantee you something, that if you don't train your kids to be godly, they will not. They will not be. Because as they walk outside of our door, they find nothing in our culture that encourages them to love Jesus. So if you don't train them, and we don't train them, and we don't try, then we can be 100% guaranteed that they will not understand godly things. But what the psalmist says is so profound. The next generation is blessed when we set them up for success. And success is found in a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ and living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Are you excited about that? Are you excited to help the next generation believe in Jesus? If that's true, then that becomes part of your life. It becomes part of what you do. It becomes part of what we do as a church. It means that no longer does Elsa have a week, any week from now till when Jesus comes back, that there's not a teacher in Faith Kids. Amen? Can I hear an amen to that? Can I, Elsa, Elsa say an amen? Can I hear an amen, right? I mean, truly, honestly, if rubber meets the road, that's what it means, right? It means that as a church, Elsa never has to ask for teachers again because we believe in this. Are you following me? Because that's true. Now you may say, but Pastor Mark, you don't know me. I can't teach at all. I'm not, we're not asking you to teach every time, but can you give a goldfish to a preschooler? Can you give a goldfish to a preschooler? If you can, then you're qualified to serve in faith kids. Right? You're qualified to be a helper if you can take a goldfish from a counter to a kid. That's with joy, with joy, of course. Right? Yeah, like, no, eat that, kid. No, no, no that's not it. It's... Hey, Jesus loves you. Here's goldfish. But if that's where we're at, then that's what we understand. Here's another one, verse 6 and 7. This one's really good for today. 
Really good for today. Fresh word for today. Verse 6. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. Now, this is, this is a fresh word for today. You know why? Because all we hear all day long is what? Bad news. That's all we hear. For the past 20 months, especially, all we've heard is what? Bad news. Now, that means the psalmist says you get a choice. You get a choice about how you're going to live. If you live praising the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, and honoring his word, then you don't have to fear bad news. It doesn't have to be a part of your life because you confidently understand some very basic things as a Christian. One of them is that you can trust the Lord to care for you. You won't be overcome by evil, and you don't have to worry about bad news because of several things. Let me give a couple things to you. Here's the first one. Because you know the end of the story. Have you ever read a book and read the end before you read anything else? Anybody? Yeah. What happens? You don't worry about anything when you're reading the middle of the story. Oh no, Johnny died. Johnny comes back to life at the end of the story. You read that. So you're like, yeah, awesome. This is going to be so cool. Right? So nothing ever gets you scared because... You know the end of the story. How many of you DVD your sports teams? Okay. I, I do that regularly. Number one, because I hate commercials. And I don't want to hear um, a 45-minute commercial about Cialis again. So, <laughs> not that Cialis isn't a great drug that might help some people, but I've heard that one 40 times. And it takes them three minutes, three and a half minutes to talk about the side effects. And then I wonder, why is this drug on the market? And it just gets me upset. So I don't watch commercials. I like to just go right through it. But sometimes, if you've done this before, right? Nobody tell me the score, right? But if I live in Cheney, like I did this, I tried this yesterday, right? Nobody tell me the score. And I live in Cheney, but what did I hear all, all morning long? The cannon going off. Boom, 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 boom. God, how many touchdowns are you going to score over there? Boom, 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 boom. Well, we're playing Idaho. We're kicking their butt. That's great. This is all because they didn't count that field goal two years ago. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> that cannon went off like nonstop. I pulled my phone out because I'm like, this is crazy. Either somebody's got the cannon wrong or they're scoring every two and a half minutes. Pull it out. Yep, they're scoring every two and a half minutes. It didn't work. Why? Because I heard during the middle the whole time what was going to happen at the end. See, when you know the end, when you read the end of the book and you read what? As a Christian, I win. Right wins. Jesus wins. I win. Heaven's my home. End of story. There's a whole bunch of stuff in between, right? Bad stuff, good stuff, challenging stuff, crazy stuff, stuff that makes the movies. It's all in here, right? And the same is true with your life. When you know the end of the story, you know what happens at the end of your life, you can confidently just keep going with the rest of your life. 
Another reason is you know the one who holds the future. You know that God holds the future. So you don't have to worry about today or tomorrow because you know he's got it. He always takes care of you in the past. You can see him in the future. When you believe in Jesus as your Savior, your eternity is secure in heaven. When your eternity is secure, then nothing here can really get you down. You understand that eternity is the most important thing, then everything's good. There's hope for tomorrow when our life is focused on Jesus and not wrapped up in the temporary concepts of this world. But so many times we do that, don't we? We get caught up in the here and now. We get caught up in what's happening on this planet. We get caught up in what's going on here politically and on social media and everywhere else. And before we know it, we're all freaked out and we're fearful and we're scared and we're, we're wondering what evil's gonna attack us next and everything's bad news. Don't live there. Live in the peace of God. Live in the joy of God. Turn that stuff off and just say, Jesus, you're my savior. I love you. I think I'll open your word today instead of Instagram. The last thing is it says that they share freely, verse 9, they share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever and they will have influence and honor. One of our tendencies when we see the world increasing in evil and struggling with its own consequences, does anybody else sometimes feel like I do on any given day? I just want to retreat to a Christian bunker somewhere. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I just want to move to somewhere in North Idaho where nobody can find me. And some days I just feel that way. Like, I don't watch the news very often, and I think the reason I don't is because I actually would. I would actually move to North Idaho. If I watched the news every day for a week, I probably would just leave you all and move to North Idaho or somewhere in North Canada, somewhere. I don't know. I'd be an Eskimo. I don't know. I'd get some dogs and have a sled and that'd be it. <laughs> but then I read verse 9. And I realize that what the psalmist is saying is that people that praise the Lord and have a fear of the Lord and are living for him biblically show that to the world around them. And they share that freely. They share it freely. They give it away generously. And as a result, they become a person that is remembered and they become a person that has influence and honor that we get to take that influence and honor and once again, turn it full circle and just give it back to Jesus. This is what the psalmist is saying. This verse encourages us not to live in a Christian bunker but to care for the world around us, to see the plight of the world, to see the needy and generously give and share, to encourage us to do good things. This is, by the way, a very strong biblical thing that you and I are called to live lives that are doing good things all the time so that people see Jesus in us. This is a common theme all throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end. That people should see us doing good things in Jesus' name all the time. See, this type of lifestyle, the psalmist says, will bring honor and influence. And we get to share that with the world and we get to put it right back on Jesus. I, I really believe that Psalm 112 is a fresh word for us today. 
It's a great reminder that we worship what we are excited about. And so as we close this morning, I'd like us to just take a, a, just a quick, kind of quiet 30 seconds. And I'd like to ask you a question, and then I just want you to think about it for a minute. Here's the question as we close. What are you excited about? What are you excited about? My hope for us, my prayer for us as a church and for every believer around the world, really, is that we would be excited to praise the Lord, to live in a healthy fear of the Lord, and to delight, just be super excited to obey God's word. You can see from what the psalmist has declared that that type of life is a totally different type of life. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we close our time together. And I pray that, honestly, my first prayer, Jesus, is this, would, this, this word this morning, this fresh word, would not be closed in our minds for a long time that we would think about this for weeks and months and years to come, that what we worship is what we're excited about, and that, Jesus, we would learn how to be excited about you, how to make you our number one priority. Lord, we know that um, there's other things in this world that we're going to be excited about, but we want to be excited about you the most. Because you are the best thing in our life. And Lord, when you are the best thing in our life, you help us kind of work out all the priorities in our life. And so I pray that for us, Lord. That you would help us to be healthy people. That we are spiritually healthy, physically healthy, mentally healthy. That all of, all of that comes into balance because we love Jesus because we're serving you, because we're honoring you with our lives. Lord, would that be the kind of people that we are? Would that be what people see about Cheney Faith Center? Would that be the mission that we are on with our neighbors and family members and coworkers? That Jesus, would people see our lives and when they do, they decide that person praises the Lord, has a healthy fear of God, and they love God's word. Lord, may that be said of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for coming this morning. It was great to see you in church. And I've given you a little bit to think about, I hope, this week. And uh, something to talk about with your friends and family members and other believers in Christ. Amen. All right, thanks for coming. Always remember, Jesus loves you very much. So do Kate and I. Have a great week.